You're listening to Catholic Chicago on WNDZ 750 AM. Every Monday through Friday from 8 AM to 9 AM, the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome to the Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jokum. And I'm Bridget Murphy. Bridget, we are um, here. This is the week. It is Christmas. We are here for it. We just were having a little um, Christmas carol here in the studio. Yeah, a little humming, a little singing. Yeah. Our producer Mm -hmm. had a really worried look on his face because I think he thought we were going to actually do that as we enter into the the, um, half hour here. But we're not. Don't worry. We've changed the format. It's... it's (laughs) All Christmas carols all the time yeah, exactly. here at the Voice of Charity. Exactly. So as we said, it is Christmas week, and, and as we all make an effort to sort of enter into this crazy time, this this bustle of the season, and also just the reality of, of what that looks like during in a pandemic, I think it's all the more important to pause and remember... Um, remember what we're actually celebrating, right? The birth of Jesus. So we're really excited today to do something a little bit different. Um, and that is to, we've dedicated this show to learn more about the sites where the nativity actually happened. Our guest today is a dedicated priest in the Archdiocese of Chicago, who is also a well-known Holy Land scholar. Reverend Edward Harnett has taken hundreds of pilgrims on over a dozen trips to the Holy Land over the past 40 years. Included, of course, in these tours are the sites they see are Bethlehem and the Church of the Nativity, which is built over the site where Jesus was born. It has been revered and venerated as such since the earliest days of Christianity. Father Hartnett is currently Pastor Emeritus at St. Joseph and Francis Xavier in Wilmette, where he continues to serve in a wide variety of ways. And we're really excited to talk with him today and have him take us on this journey. Uh, Welcome, Father Hartnett. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Father, when did you start taking these trips to the Holy Land, and and kind of what led you to do this, and how did it become part of your ministry? (laughs) It goes back, and it was kind of accidental. I... um, In about 1982, um, a young priest who I had supervised his his internship called me up after he was ordained and said, the diocese is having a tour to the Holy Land. Why don't we go? (laughs) So I said, okay, let's go. I had always had an interest. I I guess I uh, enjoyed archaeology in general, and then I got into biblical archaeology, and... um, uh, there was a publication which is still being published, uh, the Biblical Archaeological Review, and I, I had been reading it for years, so I was ready to go. And so we went, and uh, it was a great trip. But then I didn't go after that. Um, 
until 1990, I um, decided I ought to take a, a sabbatical. You increase his entitled to sabbaticals periodically, and I had never taken one. So I uh, decided to do that, and the place I wanted to go was the Holy Land. And uh, so I did, and I lived there for three months in Jerusalem, and, you know, we studied Scripture and travel and so on. And then um, when I came back, the parishioners started saying to me, well, why don't you take us? Yeah. So That's what Bridget and I are saying, yeah, too. Like, can, take you, can you take us? <laughs> well, uh, you know, Israel was, a lot of things were going on, like the Intifada, so it wasn't sure. very stable. So I had some apprehension. But anyway, the people insisted. I remember I had postponed it a couple of times, and one gentleman, Dick Kelly, came up to me and said, Now, Father, there's always going to be something. We just have to go. So, okay, I said, then you're on the committee. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we we planned it, and we went, and it was very good. It was harder for me because it was the first time I had brought a group but um, I learned, and uh, we had a very good trip. And one led to another, and one led to another. And then every few years, I would ask if people want to go, or people would ask me, are you going to go again? And I'd say, oh, sure, let's do it. And so I ended up going about a dozen times. So it's, uh, it's uh, every time I go, you know, I'm motivated by two things. One, there's no better way to teach people about Jesus than to stand where Jesus stood when he said things, and especially if you can help people give a little context. And the second reason is I myself, as often as I've been there, it's special to me. Mm. And so um, it just accidentally started. I didn't set out you know, to do this, right. and it happened to me, if you will, and it's been a blessing in my life, too. Isn't that amazing how some of the best best things in life are are accident happy accidents? Can you can you walk us through what a typical tour might be? What sites people actually see, and then um, like how how close you can get, or what the environment's actually like for people at some of these um, junctures? Well, to ask, answer the last one first, what's the environment like? It's excellent. It's very good. But to go back to the. Um, um, we usually fly into Tel Aviv, although on occasion, after the tour, which is usually two weeks, I offer, I've generally offered an additional tour to Jordan and down to Petra and, and some of the places, uh, Mount Nebo and so on. And um, so, but generally speaking, we fly into Tel Aviv. And from Tel Aviv, we drive up to, uh, in Galilee, to. Um, to the Sea of Galilee, and we stay in a hotel on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you have to remember, uh, Israel is about a third the size of Illinois, so oh. it's it's not big. So we station ourselves the first week in Galilee at, uh, uh, at the Sea of Galilee, and the second week <clears throat> we establish ourselves in Jerusalem, right next to the old walled city. And so with our bus, we have our coach for the whole time. You, you can cover an awful lot, uh, given the size uh, of Israel and the fact that we have two bases we work from. And so we cover mostly. But anyway, we, you asked where we... We start up in uh, Galilee, and there um, you, you we go to Nazareth. Uh, 
we go to well, Capernaum, where uh, Jesus did most of his ministry. He had made it as a base. And what's beautiful there, the Franciscans have done a great deal of archaeology. They found St. Peter's home. And, oh, wow. And they built a church over it. So when you say Mass there, they have a glass floor. And you're looking down on St. Peter's house as you say Mass. And as you stand at the altar and the people in their pews, you look to one side and you see the Sea of Galilee. And you look to the other side and you see the synagogue where uh, Jesus uh, preached in, um, in Capernaum. And it's the, the synagogue uh, ruins you're looking at today are not the ones Jesus was in, but it's built directly over the one Jesus was in. In fact, you can see some of the black foundation stones are the stones from the one Jesus was in. So it's quite a perspective. You're standing there at the altar. Look to the left, you see the Sea of Galilee. Look to the right, you see the synagogue where Jesus taught. Look down below your feet, and you see the house of St. Peter. And you can just picture that scene when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and then he walked down the road. It's the same road, I'm sure. They don't move the houses. Is that right to the house of St. Peter? And remember, Jesus cured the mother-in-law of Peter. And um, it, it, that's powerful as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're we sitting here kind of all looking at each other, the producers and Bridget and I, and, and just you, you've really placed us there. And we're going to, we are unfortunately going to need to take a short break. We could listen to you talk about this for hours and have you take us. But when we come back, we're going to continue um, speaking with Reverend Edward Hartnett about his, um, the hundreds of pilgrims he has led to the Holy Land. staff members work every day to end poverty and homelessness. We do this on a one-to-one basis with anyone who asks for help. We also work with organizations who study these issues across our city, state, and nation. The Wilson Sheehan Lab for Economic Opportunities, or LEO, at the University of Notre Dame is one of these research centers. Through our partnership with LEO, Catholic Charities has gained valuable insights into scientific evaluation methods that determine the most effective interventions to help people avoid poverty and homelessness. Along with our experience and compassion, trusted research is helping Catholic Charities offer hope and so much more to anyone in need. For more information, visit catholiccharities.net. On Friday, January 22nd at 12 o'clock p.m., the Archdiocesan Mass for Life will be live-streamed from Holy Name Cathedral. Celebrated by Bishop Kevin Birmingham, along with priests from across the Archdiocese of Chicago, it will be held on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade and the eve of the final event of the March for Life Chicago Tour. Please join us. The Mass will be live-streamed on the Archdiocesan YouTube channel. For more information and to register to attend, please visit respectlifechicago/events. Hey, it's Timothy Johnston here from Liturgy Training Publications. 
Over the past few months, I'm sure you've found yourself at home more, whether it's working from home or watching live stream masses on Sunday mornings. As we began adjusting to this at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things I missed the most was gathering with friends at the parish. That's why we at LTP have created this new virtual gathering series called Living the Sunday Word. We meet virtually on Thursday evenings each week and reflect on the upcoming Sunday readings. And with that, we share stories to help us more fully reflect on the Word of God. I'm inviting each of you to join us, a group of friends meeting virtually from all parts of the country. So visit ltp.org for more information and to register. You won't want to miss this. Welcome back to The Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy. And we are here today with Father Edward Harnett, who is a dedicated priest in the Archdiocese of Chicago and also a well-known Holy Land scholar. Father Harnett, before the um, break, you were talking about saying Mass in this extraordinary setting. And what do you, and you're so good at describing this, what are you feeling in that setting and 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 what do you try to convey? It puts a lot of pressure on your homily to be in to be <laughs> yeah. in that setting. What what are you trying to convey to to pilgrims in this in this you know historic and theological spiritual setting? You know, in fact, it's very easy to preach mm. because the the place preaches for you and with you. Um, I remember one time. Uh, a lady said to me, we were in, we had our coach, I told between places, and she said, you know, why don't we say the rosary while we're traveling between places? And I thought for a minute, and I said, no, I don't think so. The place has power. The, the, you don't have to add to it, and you don't want to get in the way of it. The, the, the whole experience there is moving, and you're going through these places, and, and, and your coach and of course, people have casual conversations. We always make sure there's extra seats so people can move around and you know relax. And but um, everybody's in awe of what they're seeing, so you don't need to add anything. So as far as preaching is concerned, it's never easier. And I don't find myself doing a lot of preparation because you get there at the site, and um, somehow it it takes over. You just talk about what you're experiencing. And um, so it's actually, it's very easy to preach there. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, how about your your archaeological interest and training? Um, you know, you're really able to speak to the the spirit in, in the land and the buildings and the stones. Uh, how does that help you? Well, what I like to tell people sometimes is when we talk about traditions, there's big T and there's small T. <laughs> the big T, I really, this is really solid. Small T, well, okay, maybe. <laughs> and so um, uh, I usually, I've read about and studied this, and I, I, I got to know a priest very well who's a biblical scholar there. He died a few years ago, Jerome Murphy O'Connor, and I got to know him pretty well. In fact, he stayed with me for a while here. But I learned an awful lot from him. Plus, I, I, I've been reading about it uh, for years and years, and I've been there. So um, I, 
I don't. It, it, it comes naturally, and as I say, the the place has its own power, and um, you don't have to add to it. It's it, 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 it's spiritual without being heavy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, I do distinguish uh, traditions that you know, and then other nice tradition, but then the things that are really solid, and um, for example, uh, Calvary. There's nothing more solid than that is where Jesus died. And I just, I had a powerful experience. The last time I was there, um, I was able to spend half an hour early in the morning at, at, at Cal, on Calvary, the top of Calvary, all by myself. Nobody oh, else there. Wow. For half an hour. You don't need a prayer book. Hmm. You don't need a rosary. You just are there, and, and this is where Jesus really died. Mm-hmm. And the, the love of God involved, we in, talking about tough love, um, you're, you're, you're where it happened. And it's almost hard to believe that the creator of the universe could become incarnate and, and, and go to the extent of Calvary. So, um, I, and that's a very solid tradition. You know, I, I have all the confidence in that, that, like the burial place of Jesus and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, so the reading I've done it certainly reinforces and helps me sort things out and helps me to sort them out for people. Um, but um, I don't know, somehow the place takes over and... Uh, and then with some background knowledge, and we have a guide. The guides are always knowledgeable, and I always make sure we have a Christian guide because the other guides know the terrain, they know the stories, but there's no empathy for it. And uh, what a good Christian guide, and the last one I had the last time was just wonderful. And um, so it's it's. Well, if you know some background, it's just easy to share that, to be honest with people about about everything. And um, the questions are good questions. So I don't know. That's... We literally could sit here and listen to you for hours. And I think one of the, the things that I'm struck with is just as we're preparing for Jesus's birth, we're preparing for Christmas sure. this week, just this idea that this is real. You know, Jesus walked these steps. He was there. And and how powerful that must be for the pilgrims and for you. It's powerful to hear about it. It's yeah. powerful to think you sat there on at Calvary. And, and, you know, we know this is true, but to be able to be in that physical, physical space. So, what, we're going to take our, our next break, but when we come back, we are going to we want to dive into that a little more with you. That understanding of how that transforms lives to be standing at the place of the nativity. And perhaps we want to talk about Bethlehem. Absolutely. as Jesus was born, no one could imagine how the events of his life would change the world forever. How blessed we are to know what really happened there over 2,000 years later. Those who were there would have been overwhelmed to know of the suffering he would later endure to forgive the sins of all people for all time. 
Instead, that night was simply about the Son of God coming to earth, being born on that holy night. Despite all of the challenges in our lives, may we find joy, peace, and hope in remembering how powerful that message was meant to be and can still be today. Merry Christmas from everyone at Catholic Charities. Can't take a bus to the Chicago or National March for Life this year? Not to worry, this year's activities will look a little different, but we will still be marching for the sanctity of life. In partnership with March for Life Chicago, we are bringing the pro-life movement on the road. On Sunday, January 17th, the pro-life movement will come to Mundelein with a drive-in, socially distanced rally at Carmel High School, which will include inspiring speakers, Cardinal Blaise Supich for one. For more information and to register, please visit marchforlifechicago.org tour. Can't wait to see you there. Catholic Charities Divine Affair home tasting parties are going virtual. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Divine Affair, the elegant wine tasting event that benefits our self-sufficiency programs. Low-income single parents with dependent children are trying to break the cycle of welfare and poverty. Today, the need is greater than ever as the COVID-19 pandemic has left thousands of newly struggling families in need of immediate assistance. You can easily coordinate a virtual wine tasting and help Catholic Charities at the same time. Each guest will enjoy a sample wine kit that includes wine and a guide, all courtesy of Lewis Glenn's Wines. You can gather your friends and family for this fun event or incorporate a celebration for a birthday, anniversary, or engagement at the same time. To learn more about a virtual home tasting party and how you and your guests can win fabulous raffle prizes, call today at 773-756-6937. That's 773-756-6937. Cheers! Good morning and welcome back to The Voice of Charity. This is Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy. And we are here today talking with Father Edward Harnett. And we um, we need to get on track here because I will just listen to you talk forever. But we, you brought this up at the end of the last um, segment, Father, and we're going to listen to you. Can you share with us a little bit about the experience of being um, at the Grotto of the Nativity at being there in Bethlehem and what that's like, and what are the things our listeners need to know? Well, the first church, <clears throat> Christians knew where Jesus was born, and we have early references to it among church fathers, and that it was in Bethlehem, and it was the cave, and so on. So um, when Helena the mother of the Emperor Constantine. Now, remember, Constantine gave freedom to Christianity. His mother traveled to the Holy Land to find the sites of Jesus and to build uh, churches over them. Um, a lot of them were preserved, interestingly, by the pagans trying to keep Christians away. They put another uh, temple to a divinity to keep uh, Christians from going there. But in fact, in many cases, they marked the spot. So in the year 339, she went and she built a church over the cave. It was an octagonal church, and it wasn't very big. So then in um, 529, the emperor at that time built a larger church, and that church is there today. It's the oldest church in the Middle East. 
because in the uh, 600s, the Persian army came through, and this is a very interesting story. They, he came to the church, and they were going to destroy it. They destroyed them all. But on the front, there was a picture of the Magi coming to Bethlehem, and the Magi were dressed as Persians. So the Persian general saw the Magi dressed as they were dressed. So that plus, in fact, they had good relations between the Muslims and the uh, Christians in that area. The church was spared, so it's wow. still there. It's When you come near it, how much time do we have? I, yeah, we've got four and a half minutes left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good uh, question, Father. And then we're bringing you back another time. <laughs> the door, there are, three, there are three archways, and each one is smaller. And the final one is about uh, chest high. You have to bend over. It's called the humility door. And the reason was because they used to go in with wagons and steal everything out of the church and drive out. And then when they made their doors too small for that, they come in on their horses, and so they made their ho- too small for that. So you have to, but once you bend down to get in, you're in a large church. It's like almost like a Roman basilica. It's long, and somewhat narrow. And at the other end is a, a Greek Orthodox uh, sanctuary. Mm. But then you go around the side and down the steps, and you're in the grotto. You're in the cave, and. Um, at the center, there's a Greek Orthodox altar, and under it, a star on the floor with a hole, and you can reach down, the point is you can touch the floor. The tradition is that's where Jesus was born. The Catholics have an altar over in the side. The tradition is that's where Jesus was laid in the manger. Now, I think, as far as I'm concerned, that Jesus was born in the cave I'm not going to uh, split hairs about what spot of the cave. <laughs> Listen, don't be born. ruining any of our big <laughs> T's and small you know, T's, Father. <laughs> this is the cave where she, See, caves were... Homes were often built over or in front of caves mm. in that time. So this was probably that extra room that when the family and everybody's in the main room, you couldn't give birth to a baby there. So they, women, I'm sure, took Mary into the back, and uh, Jesus was born mm. in that area. So it's 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 moving when you're there, yeah. um, and we say mass in a, an adjacent cave. I, it, at this time, because of the crowds, you don't get a chance to say mass in the cave. We say it one adjacent to it, but even a doorway. And saying mass there, I remember one of the last times I did it. Just when I finish, somebody starts singing "Silent Night," and it just takes over. It's it, Silent night never meant as much as it does then. And uh, everybody just chimed into silent night. Then everybody just walks out kind of silently because what do you even say? I mean, you've just experienced that. You know, truly, I wish that this show could go on for six more hours. But in the last minute and a half, what is something that you would share with our listeners to kind of take with them as we enter into Christmas in just a few days? I, I think the miracle is the incarnation. Um, the creator of the universe, you can go on your internet or, or in your you know, computer and you can see the galaxies and all that. And, and the creator of all this in, in one time and one place perhaps more times in places we don't know in the universe, but certainly here, became one with us to lead us to be one with him. And 
In other words, we can't cross the gap to God, so God crossed the gap to us. And um, just to realize that, that the creator of the universe uh, took human form and was born here. I mean, I don't know what more to say. <laughs> I don't think there is anything more to say. I, I, that is beautiful, and, and thank you. Thank you for, for bringing home Christmas to us. Thank you for bringing home um, the the incarnation. And truly, that is going to be the end of our show today. We thank you, Father Harnett, for this, and we look forward to when the world opens back up. You have uh, three people, four people who are signing up to come with you. So on behalf of Catholic Charities, we would like to thank all of our listeners for for their support throughout this past year and for bringing Jesus to all of us. That's right. Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Join us every Monday through Friday at this time for Catholic Chicago. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.